Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, everyone. Today I'm joined here by Arc's analyst, Tasha Kini, who covers autonomous transport and 3D printing. And we're going to talk about the state of autonomous cars and the mobility as a service thesis. Tasha, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. All righty. So you've been focused on kind of building out our model and our view on how the world of transportation and especially this world of on-demand transportation is going to evolve over the next 10, maybe 20 years. This is a large uh, market opportunity. And for a long time, I think people were very skeptical that this is going to happen. But you're arguing that, in fact, it's happening right on schedule, maybe a bit of even ahead of schedule. So yes. what's your view on what the landscape looks like right now? Yes. So we actually think it's happening ahead of schedule, even, even by our estimates, which, you know, some had looked at as fairly aggressive. So when we published our autonomous mobility as a service paper, we said that we thought autonomous travel would first commercialize in 2019. And if you believe Waymo, Google's autonomous car project, they actually say that they're commercializing uh, before the end of this year. So that'd be 2018. The reason it's happening so soon that I think that uh, most people don't appreciate is that these cars are what we'd call level four cars. So they're autonomous in most situations, but let's say, you know, five to 1% of the time, they'll need help from a human being. That human being doesn't have to be in the car. They could be in a remote operation center. So, you know, it's say 99% autonomous with 1% human help. And that's sort of what bridges the gap to today from sort of the AI capability to to sort of get the cars actually on the road with customers. So definitionally, level four autonomy means basically self-driving, but within certain designated zones, whereas uh, level five is self-driving anywhere, all conditions, no caveats, right? Exactly. Level five is everywhere, all environments, all weather. Level four is basically you, you add some restrictions on that, some situations the car might not understand. Um, maybe it doesn't drive in harsh weather or sort mm. of other things. But at level four, it's really the first point in which, in which I think the, mag- the technology feels kind of magical and sci-fi. You can, within, let's say, the designated zones, you can fall asleep or watch a Netflix movie and, the car- and that's a full legit use case. Exactly. The the reason we think level four is still so exciting, even though it's not, you know, level five full autonomy, is because that's when the economics come into play. That's when you can remove the human from the car and you get a much higher utilization rate, which gives you a very low price point per mile to the consumer. Great. I think the most contentious question right now is who is closest to actually achieving commercial level, level four deployment? Some are saying it's Waymo, that's Alphabet's self-driving division. Some are saying maybe it's Tesla and others are saying GM. What's your take on this? 
Yeah. So, you know, Waymo certainly says that they're going to launch first. So by by that metric, they're sort of closest to doing that. And I, I, I think that from a technology perspective, from what we've been able to see in the public eye, Waymo's cars seem to perform the best or they they sort of seem the most capable. We know from the, the California published reports uh, with the California DMV that Waymo's traveling the most miles in between human interventions. In, in terms of the, the GM Tesla dynamic, uh, GM says they're launching in 2019 with cruise automation. That would be in San Francisco while Waymo's launching in Phoenix. That's also a very aggressive timeline. You know, GM has this sort of extra obstacle to overcome in that they're a, a traditional automaker. This is sort of not their native space to play in. It's, it's much more software, much more tech focused. They're really counting on cruise. Exactly. This is this is the bet that they're placing, and they've sort of let that team team run um, so as its own operation. Background for our audience: of what Cruise is and how they came became part of GM. Sure. So uh, Cruise Automation was an autonomous startup that GM acquired, I think about two years ago for about a billion dollars. Right now, it's about valued at about fourteen billion. So wow, um, it's appreciated wow. since for then. For a pre-revenue company, right? That's incredible. And actually, that said, I mean, we think that the opportunity in this space is worth uh, trillions. So that's that's sort of not a, a crazy number to us. So you know, since then, GM has sort of let the cruise team run along. And the the great thing I'd say about this acquisition, as opposed to you know the acquisitions that Ford and some of the other traditional automakers have made, is that the top level level executives have, at GM have adopted this really aggressive timeline. Uh, so the fact that they're committing to this, I, I think sort of shows their commitment to Cruise. Mm, interesting. I think it's a really good point that Waymo and Cruise are taking essentially opposite strategies in terms of where they're initially going to launch. Waymo has basically picked the easiest city arguably in the country, Phoenix, or suburban Phoenix to launch you know, sunny days almost every day, just kind of a grid looking flat terrain, very easy. Whereas Cruise with GM, they've picked San Francisco with super hilly terrain, fog, homeless people running around, like uh, anything, anytime anything could happen and notorious four-way stop signs. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Yeah. You know, I think- I think And they G- have the same year for launch supposedly next year or roughly. Right. The cruise team and GM would be happy that we're making that distinction. I think that's that's <laughs> something that you know GM sort of points to and says, you know, not all miles are equivalent. You know, we're going in a much more sort of complicated, dynamic environment. But that said, I mean, if you're getting to launch a service faster, it might make sense for you to tackle sort of an easier area. And and the other advantage that Waymo has in Phoenix is that the regulatory reporting requirements, mm-hmm. in other words, the public information that you have to publish about your testing efforts are are not as uh, strict as California. So you can be more secretive in Phoenix? Exactly. I see. So it it could mean, you know, again, Waymo might launch first. They use Phoenix as this testing bed and then, you know, maybe San Francisco second or, you know, they look to sort of the other markets that they've been testing these vehicles in for the second launch. Yeah. When I see this, I can't help but be kind of concerned for GM's efforts because they've picked essentially the hardest problem as their kind of go to market uh, milestone like I'm reminded of when you know you know AI has been my focus area and the picking what problem you choose to solve is literally the most important thing that determines whether you're successful or a failure like famously IBM 
picked right. Watson to solve all cancer as a recommendation engine, treatment recommendation engine for Watson for oncology. And that thing is still not working or barely working. Whereas other people who've gone up, gone for more focused areas like just image recognition or translation um, have had great success. They've launched commercial products that billions of people use or even with AlphaGo. So like picking an easier problem and iterating seems to be at least a more dependable go-to-market strategy. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that stance. I think it could pay off in the end. You know, in particular, if, you, if you're one of the first companies doing this, I think regulators are watching you very closely. So you want them on your side. So it, it, it might, you know, it's might be to your advantage to sort of pick again, that easier problem that's also somewhat safer for you. Right. The other company that, of course, is on everyone's mind is Tesla. What is their strategy for rolling out autonomous and how is it different from these two other companies? Yeah. So Tesla's strategy is totally different. Waymo and GM seem to be doing this geographically constrained city by city uh, launch process. Tesla says that when they launch full autonomy, which is, by the way, going to be an over-the-air software update to all cars with second-generation autopilot hardware, they're going to do uh, nationwide. They're they're not sort of doing this geographic constrained um, environment. They're also famously not using LiDAR. It's a different sensor set. And it actually looks as if Tesla might be a little bit behind. If if you believe G, uh, Waymo and GM, uh, Tesla might actually be third to launch. Mm. But because they're testing in such a different way, they're testing with customer cars as opposed to this fleet of autonomous test cars, they have a much bigger data library. So you could imagine them launching later, but then sort of speeding past the competition because the rate at which their system is improving is much more accelerated than their competitors. And their coverage is very different, right? These things are not, it's not like if you've learned how to drive in Phoenix, then you can move that to Seattle and have it work. It would basically not work immediately. Same thing with uh, presumably GM. You, you, every city is a new set of maps, a new set of training scenarios. Right. But what you're saying with Tesla is because their customers are in all these cities already, they have an installed base, so to speak. If they solve it, it stands to reason they would solve it for all the places where their customers drive. Exactly. And that's sort of why you can perhaps justify this much more aggressive launch strategy. They already have the data, whereas Waymo and GM have to move their test vehicles to the specific places that they sort of want to tackle before they're able to launch. I guess one difference with Tesla also versus Waymo and GM is that they are relying purely on a kind of mostly camera-based sensor suite. There are many directional cameras plus radar and ultrasonics. Famously, they've said, we don't need LIDAR, which is you know laser-based, distance-based instrument, whereas these other two companies are, are relying on that for their fleet vehicles. Exactly. So, so Tesla's not using radar. Elon Musk has said that. LIDAR. Sorry, lidar. <laughs> Elon Musk has said that lidar is a, a crutch. What he means by that is that lidar is very good at what it does and determining that an object is there. So it sort of vastly improves your your perception system once you add it, once you have that additional information. Uh, without it, you have to do a lot more work on the path planning piece. The how do I get from A to B? versus what's around me, perception. But if Tesla is able to solve that path planning piece with the sensor set, I mean, you might be thinking that every other autonomous team is sort of kicking themselves. They've developed onto something that's much more complex. It's not automotive grade. In fact, there could be changes to the LiDAR that we see today when it becomes automotive grade. We've heard that that's sort of not a, you know, a trivial process. 
So it, it, it could play out to their advantage. That said, you know, it's an unsolved problem and I, I think it's a much more difficult one to solve. Right. By unsolved problem, you mean purely optical-based computer vision that can do depth accurately. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Well, you follow LiDAR quite closely. It's uh, like, I think for a long time, we were hoping to see cheaper, higher quality LiDAR come to market from companies, the startups that are focused on this. Has that been a little slower than expected? Or what's the situation with the kind of cheaper LiDARs coming down? Yes, that has been slower than expected. So, well, we had been promised solid state LiDAR. Uh, so the LiDAR systems that we see today are spinning. They're mechanical. Solid state LiDAR uh, does not have any moving parts. There are some, sort of some advantages where you can basically point the laser uh, directly where you want it to and sort of switch directions easily versus, you know, waiting for the system to spin around. So you, you could get sort of, you could hone in on particular areas that you think are more attractive to look at. So solid state LiDAR was supposed to be a lot cheaper, but that too is an unsolved problem. And we've actually, we haven't really seen any startup produce a product that actually works and that has come to market. So we're still sort of waiting on that. So, you know, it could be that the system that commercializes is mechanical. Again, the sort of the automotive grade approval process might be a little bit more difficult for a mechanical system. We'll have to see. But so the the price decline might not be from a design change. It could just be from a, you know, pure unit economics. The more that are produced, the price comes down. Okay, interesting. From an investor's perspective, I think a lot of people view this as almost, you know, if you don't follow it too closely, autonomous might seem like somewhat of a speculative thing where um, it may or may not happen, or even if it does, then, you know, who knows what level of impact, but you've done very detailed work on quantifying what that could look like. What's the best way for investors to think through this opportunity? Um, maybe just starting with kind of how much value would be created? Sure. So, you know, high level, we think an autonomous taxi could price at just 26 cents per mile to the consumer. Versus taxis at? Today, a taxi is anywhere between $2.50 to $3.50. So that's a tenth of the cost. And it's roughly half of what you pay to drive your personal car in the US today. A new personal car prices out per mile at about 70 cents. So it's going to cause this massive, you know, you can imagine two car households become one car, one car households move to zero cars. And we think that that price is what's going to make this market so attractive to the consumer. And globally, we think that mobility as a service today in the equity markets should be valued at $2 trillion. And you can say that I'd say a very small percentage or, or perhaps even none of that is sort of taken into account in the public equity markets today. Right. So like if you read the sell side reports previously, companies like Tesla and, and Google or Alphabet were just valued based on their core business, whether it's advertising or manufacturing. Um, only this year, we're starting to see more separate valuations for what a service could generate in terms of revenue and then giving that a service-based multiple, which you know gives it a very large valuation. That's starting to trickle into the valuations. Yes. We're just sort of seeing sell side analysts look at this opportunity. And again, when you're talking about a market that's measured in the trillions for a company like Google, you know, to only focus on the core business, you're missing something that can really move the needle. I mean, it's a it's a great call option on the stock. Yeah, I would know because I uh, I own Alphabet <laughs> and I cover it on the internet side. And like you only have a few knobs to tweak and you know, you have your ad revenue growth, you have your, your CPC growth or decline. And no matter how you multiply those numbers, it's not going to come up with a much, much bigger number than where Alphabet is today at around a trillion. So, I think it is really 
useful to uh, to look at this this new market of mobility as a service because basically you have a huge bucket, call it two trillion dollars of new market cap. If this happens in today's dollar terms, and that's either going to be independent companies or it's going to be lopped on to existing companies like Waymo, maybe an Uber or a SoftBank or something like that. So, getting this right even approximately would yield quite handsome returns. Exactly. Exactly. Say, say you know, we're off by twenty percent on that two trillion. It's still, it's still an extremely large market, and that's why it's, you know, it's worth looking at today. Awesome. I think um, next year will be a very interesting year to to review to see yes. where these companies are with their promises. Tesla, Waymo, and GM, and we'll see who has the first commercially viable service that people are willing to pay for. I'm excited. Awesome. All right. Nice talking to you, Tasha. Thanks, James. All right. So for those of you who want to follow more of Tasha's work, you can find her writings on arc-invest.com. And she is on Twitter at... At Tasha Arc. At Tasha Arc. Okay. Talk to you guys next time. Arc believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that Arc believes to be reliable. However, Arc does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from Arc. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.